3: Thank you, Mr. President, for giving us some time and some flexibility in today's agenda to make a very special and important presentation.
4: A year after Emery's death, her case was still unsolved, and someone new became interested. Los Angeles City Council Member Jose Huizar from District 14. He presented a motion to the City Council, which was broadcast on LA's local government channel. Emery's family lined up behind him with a portrait of Emery. This was back in 2007.
3: I am presenting a motion to renew a $50,000 reward that we put out a few months ago for any information leading to the arrest of the individual or individuals who are responsible for the death of a beautiful 14-year-old girl, Emery Munoz.
4: Jose Huizar asked the L.A. City Council to renew a reward for any information in her case.
3: The family is seeking answers. The family is seeking justice.
4: His speech was a plea for information, but it also had an underlying message.
3: We have reason to believe, or the LAPD has told us that the death of Emery Munoz might have been related to rave parties or fly parties that draw upon young people
4: his speech was a rallying cry for the city of Los Angeles to crack down on party crews.
3: The young people who go to these parties are not necessarily bad kids. It's any one of our kids who go to these parent parties who are lured by the excitement of fun and enjoyment. But we have to put everyone on notice that these parties may and can be dangerous and the city should be doing more to stop these.
4: Vice and Elias Studios. This is Party Cruise: The Untold Story. I'm Janice Amalka.
0: There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. <laughs> Hey, checking in for... ...or the perfect table.
4: Hey, where are you? Coming!
0: And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. ...and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... ...it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher... It's not gonna be easy, but it's gonna be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the gangster chronicles.
4: I have a few memories of police raiding our parties. One time, I remember the lights, music, smoke machine, everything shutting off. The entire backyard went dark. Kids started running through any exit, trying to hide behind cars on the street to avoid getting a ticket. Cops with flashlights were shining them in our faces, forming in the back to clear out the house. I remember running away. I was wearing sandals and my feet got wet because of the dewy grass, but I never got caught. Even when the parties didn't get raided, the cops were always in the back of our minds, and that's because we were on their minds.
2: A new generation of LA gang members is emerging from the underground party scene. They
6: don't start violent, but it doesn't take them long to get there.
1: The people who throw these kind of parties are called party crews, but police say they're very similar to gangs.
6: LAPD
4: wasn't just shutting down our parties. It was way more than that. It felt like they saw our party crews as just another version of a gang.
6: It is a um, L.A. City gang that started off as a tag-banging gang. They are morphing into a uh, traditional uh, Hispanic turf gang. Law enforcement officials say they're coordinating on every level to attack the problem.
4: For us, dealing with the cops was just part of being in the scene
3: sometimes 10 or 15 cop cars blocking off the street.
4: Our first party, a bunch of cop came, And of course, we would hide the Nas paint.
3: If the owner of the house was there, they would give them tickets.
4: Sometimes if they were like those massive warehouse parties, there'd be helicopters.
3: They'll take the amplifiers and the Serato system, and then they'll give the DJ a citation too. And you lose your gear and you have a court date.
4: Way back before Emery's death, the police were already on a mission to shut down flyer parties. But the 2000s marked a new era in the battle between cops and kids. In this episode, I talk to the people who try to shut us down.
7: I'm Captain Jay Roberts, James Roberts. I go by Jay.
4: This is Captain James Roberts. He's currently the commanding officer of Rampart Area. Back in the 2000s, he used to bust flyer parties. I sat down with him in an LAPD press room. In the tape, you can hear the squeaking of Jay's belt, which held his gun and a flashlight.
7: Who can afford it, so? I would say, like, under
4: 16. Jay was ready for our interview. No,
7: but I mean, to refresh my memory of all this, I actually had a file on all the the party-related stuff and uh, it brought it all back.
4: He had pulled out all the files that he had related to flyer parties. As a teen, I would have never had the chance to interview or talk to an officer like this, on equal footing. Now, all these years later, I'm sitting across from someone who patrolled the scene I was a part of. I was curious, how did he remember this time?
7: I don't think party crews would have attracted any attention had they not been wildly successful with hundreds of people showing up.
4: Busting parties ended up being a major part of his
7: job. It was a big deal, and I had a big role in it.
4: Jay used to work as a sergeant at the Foothill Division, which serves the Northern Valley, the Pacoima Tahunga area. He says they'd get a lot of phone calls from the community.
7: There were 43,000 party related calls in the city of L.A. for 2003. Leading that was that foothill area. It had 3,404 party calls. Um, we were the party capital of Los Angeles.
4: And in the early 2000s, his division would respond to these phone calls by mm-hmm. going out to parties, knocking on the door.
7: And say, hey, you need to turn your music down. Here's your warning slip. And if I you know, have to come back, I'll have to impound some sound equipment or, you know, write somebody a ticket.
4: The black and white police cars that were sent out to do this, they were referred to as party cars. Literally, it's like the opposite of a party bus. These cars were trying to prevent parties. But they weren't working.
7: Well, you'd never come back because, you know, the person who called the police in the first place is so frustrated because nothing was done. And they won't call back. But if they did call back, by the time we got back around, it was two in the morning, the party was already over. So completely ineffective.
4: Jay remembers one party in particular in 2004 that he says sparked a change in his division.
7: It was a birthday party for a kid. Um, It ended up being a flyer party. They put flyers out.
4: The party was on a Saturday.
7: And two kids were shot, you know, and I think they were in their 20s, one from Panorama City and one from Sylmar. That sort of began, at least as far as the LAPD went, a shift in how we dealt with just allowed or unlawful parties to begin with. We had a press conference afterwards with the city attorney's office saying, okay, here's the deal. You know, we're we're now gonna respond to these. And it was my job at the time to 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 do something about it.
4: So they switched it up. They had to develop new strategies to assess parties, like sending undercover cops to check them out.
7: A couple of plainclothes cops in a plane car to low-key assess, low-key talk to whoever. No uniform, no scary cop presence. And if the party had to be shut down and it moved to another place, they were in the loop. They were party-goers, too.
4: Officers in everyday clothes, with a regular car. They just needed to blend in, period. They would provide intel, like if a party moved locations to avoid the cops, would it be a young undercover cop? How would you like no, go would, under the radar of, as well,
7: an adult? It would. It would be somebody with baby face, not kidding. Yeah, somebody, really? Well, somebody you know that we, could pass. We parts? have twenty-something cops. We had young cops that could do that, but you're right. They they did have to be legitimate. Were and, they and, people
4: like? Were they Latinos? Like were they? Like
7: in in Pacoima, I would the say— The undercover cops. Yes, absolutely. I would say that 50% of our officers were Latino. Most of the guys in that detail um, were, were Latino officers.
4: It was the beginning of what LAPD referred to as the party suppression team, the PST for short. Having parties, even really big out-of-control ones— is a normal part of teenage life. But whether the cops show up and slap you on the wrist when the neighbors call, or create entire teams devoted to targeting your parties, clearly has a lot to do with where you live and who you are. And when it came to us, Latinx teens in LA, these undercover cops would actually go out and assess when our parties were dangerous and when they were, in their opinion,
7: okay we'd go out and we'd have undercover units that would just look. And if it was just a, a quinceañera birthday party family barbecue, make contact, you know, say, hey, can you guys keep the music down? You know, make sure you're mindful of your neighbors. And then they'd say, hey, we got one over here. Let's respond over here. And the black and whites would respond. And they would deal with, with it in whatever way. Um, whether it be, you know, we got here too late. There's already 300 people here and we need to shut it down.
4: They even started coordinating with Los Angeles schools.
7: I, I appeared in front of the school board uh, to educate them on what a flyer party was. They're just clueless as to what the kids are doing. So um, just putting on, the, on their radar. When you see this strangely written you know, graphic and somebody slaps it up on the school wall or bulletin board or leaves it underneath the windshield wipers of all the cars in the high school parking lot. You'll know what this is.
4: Officers were scouring the internet, too. Remember, in the early 2000s, party promotion was also happening online.
7: We would also start to monitor the internet back then. It wasn't so much social media, but it was the internet.
4: Cops would monitor sites like drunkenfaded.com and clubevents.com. Social media was pretty new at the time. MySpace was a big player. They searched online with keywords like underground parties, rave, and flyer parties. And they also monitored the phone numbers listed on the back of the flyers, the info lines that were updated with directions on the day of the party.
7: We started calling in the lines. We started finding out when the parties would be. We started showing up. We started nipping them in the bud. And they started, you know, getting more evasive. And so, you know, cat and mouse, cat and mouse.
4: Kids got really creative, avoiding the cops.
6: You know, when you're at a party and you're in the backyard and the police come and the music shuts down, I kid you not, we'd always start singing happy birthday.
4: This is Max, a flyer party goer in the San Gabriel Valley. Our senior producer, Sofia Carr, spoke to him on the phone.
6: We'd always sing happy birthday. It's so stupid, right? What? (laughs) And that would work? No, it never worked. (laughs) It never were. Oh my we were god. Always, we'd always think happy birthday when the police walked in like it was some stupid birthday party and not a you know freaking liar party.
7: It it wasn't black and white. This is Jay again talking
4: about the party suppression team.
7: There were party crews that were loosely associated groups of people. There were people in it for the money. There were tag bangers that were associated that sometimes didn't get along with the crews. The crews, you know, were everything from just good kids trying to have fun all the way over to criminal enterprises. You know, that was also what made it difficult. How do we uh, figure out what's going on here and and deal with it appropriately?
4: You mentioned criminal enterprise. I wanted to know, like, what you mean by that.
7: Well, it's it's illegal to charge it's illegal, obviously, to to sell, you know, alcohol. Illegal to sell nitrous oxide balloons. And that's the level I'm talking about. Once there's money involved.
4: I'm curious, like, how would you or, like, people on your team make the distinctions between, like, whether a party was violent or not? Like, how would you decide that?
7: If there was the, the presence of gang members or um, a clear commercial enterprise. If it was, you know, 10 kids getting together that call themselves a party crew and weren't charging anything, we'd still probably shut it down because, because it's, well, I take that back. It would depend that that's that, that's that fine line right there. If there was no, no commercial end to it, it would depend. You know it when you see it. Somebody asked the, the definition of pornography once to somebody, and their answer was, I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. It was you knew you could feel it, whether this was going to be a safe environment or a dangerous environment.
4: I was going to mention like gang members also go to Quince, quinteneras, and yes. like they're also like going to a wedding.
7: You know, they're part of the community. And um, so that's not to say there, there, there aren't, you know, these elements weren't a part of other parties. You know, there, there were plenty of, you know, family gatherings that uh, went fine. And then there were other family gatherings for that reason that didn't go fine.
4: I wanted him to know from my own experience as a teen that, yeah, the parties could get out of control. But the cops showing up and the way they went about it, that could feel violent too. At least, like, in my experience, like, we, there was a lot of parties. There were a lot of parties. They got broken up. And it was, like, really—it was, like, a scary on both ends, though. It was scary because there were shootings. But it was also scary because the police would storm in there. Like, I don't know. Like, it was scary. <laughs> like, right, it's scary right, for a right. 15-year-old to, yeah, like—
7: helicopters and Yeah, and to, like, and, hide in
4: a closet yep. is, like, kind of—it's scary. Now that I'm an adult and I can understand the dangers that we were in, but, like, as a child, it's scary, Right. You know? Out of all the new strategies, the biggest change that the party suppression team made was to cite people right away. Don't knock on the door and warn them. Instead, give people a ticket for loud music or selling alcohol without a license right away. Jay says his team wanted to find the parties and shut them down before they could get big, especially before a helicopter gets sent out.
7: This sort of more strategic surgical way of dealing on a more low key way wouldn't involve tons of police cars and and, and a big presence in a helicopter with a a night sunlight over. That's how things were dealt with when things had gone bad already. In this model, we try to avoid that. We're not just gonna warn anymore. We're gonna say, hey, this is illegal and unlawful, and um, there's a high potential of violence. Here's your ticket right now, or this thing's shut. That's what changed.
4: In 2004, Jay says the party suppression team was seen as a beacon of success. Jay remembers presenting their strategy to LEPD higher-ups.
7: I made a presentation at that meeting, and that became part of the citywide response. The recommendation that if you have a problem with regard to flyer parties, you know, rave parties, crew parties, this is the best practices on how to deal with them, this party suppression team concept and the idea that that you assess parties for their violence potential. Our department policy changed in 2007 to allow for that immediate citing or arresting upon the first response if the situation warranted it, whereas before it was always a warning. And it was so effective that it became a thing and was adopted citywide. That's after the break.
5: Delve into the visceral world of hip hop with the Gangster Chronicles, a podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Hosted by MC8 and Big Steel every Thursday, each episode provides an in depth exploration into the formative artists. From police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go.
6: This program will provide you with basic information to assist you in your duties. Identify flyer parties, understand the drug and alcohol use common at flyer parties.
4: By the end of 2004, LEPD created a training video for the entire department on how to handle flyer parties based on the party suppression team. These are clips from the video.
6: The most effective tool that can be used by law enforcement in the policing of flyer parties is rapid response.
4: What started small, with just the Foothill Division, would spread.
6: These are a few of the points that should be considered from the Foothill Party Suppression Plan. Maintain zero tolerance for loud or unlawful parties. Gather intel before, during, and after parties have been identified. Identify, assess, terminate. Deploy a party suppression team or party car.
4: We obtained the training video through a public records request. Watching it reminds me of how much we were being watched and studied, and how we had no idea. Or at least, I had no idea.
6: Inside these locations and during the party, promoters go the distance to provide a stimulating mix of drugs, alcohol, and music that encourages dancing, competition, and promiscuity.
4: The video features grainy footage from flyer parties with faces blurred out and pictures of flyers. One of the parties had the name Reggaeton vs. Hip Hop Part 3. The video also showed partygoers inhaling Nas from balloons.
6: Nitrous oxide stations are set up to feed the crowd with a mind-altering substance that can create a volatile situation.
4: Actually, Nas was a big part of the training video.
2: You can arrest someone for nitrous oxide as long as they're possessing it with the intent to consume.
4: When I see stuff like this, I can't help but think that they become part of the permanent record. Traces of my teenage years, examined and filed away.
6: By their nature, flyer parties include elements that create a fertile environment for violence.
4: They become history. At least one version of it. One version of us.
8: We took an interest because uh, that may have been the most violent year of uh, flyer or rave parties in our history. I mean, they was seemed like they were going every month, somebody was being shot or injured.
4: Bernard C. Parks was a chief of the LEPD in the late 90s. He was the chief during the Rampart scandal. The investigation into an anti-gang unit in the Rampart division that was accused of massive corruption. He later became a city council member. He represented the 8th District for over 10 years, which serves South LA.
8: We had what appeared to be almost every weekend, even though there may not have been a shooting, there were these activities that were unsupervised and people were taking advantage of abandoned houses or abandoned buildings.
4: In 2004, the same time Captain Jay Roberts was setting up the party suppression team, Councilmember Bernard C. Parks put out a motion to create a party task force. According to the motion, 13 people died from gunshot wounds at flyer parties in L.A. County. He wrote that, quote, party crews advertise wet t-shirt and g-string contests, or hot women, or that, quote, parties act as nightclubs, though without fire codes, security checks, and doorman asking for ID. During our interview, the only time Bernard really got excited was explaining to me how he would go after party crews by citing people for things like putting up a flyer.
8: People use other people's property, such as city lighting poles and telephone poles, to advertise something that they're getting a financial benefit, which is illegal. And then the other issue is, is who cleans them up when the party's over? No one. And so uh, it's not like they go and post them and then go back, tear them down after the party.
4: I never knew that. You mm-hmm. couldn't put a flyer on a city pole mm-hmm. or a lamp a lamppost. Um, so all those concert posters I see off the freeway are like... They're all <laughs> illegal. It wasn't the first time illegal raves or underground parties were brought to the attention of the city council. In 1996... Council member Richard Ararcon filed a motion asking for a few things, including recommendations on how to crack down on illegal parties. Then, in 2004, Bernard filed his motion. And based off the files we found, that was the last time flyer parties were brought up in the city council. Until three years later, 2007. The year that José Huizar brought Emery's case to the council. Jose Huizar is someone you may have heard of, especially if you live in L.A.
6: Breaking news, L.A. City Councilman Jose Huizar has been charged with a 34-count federal grand jury indictment alleging wide-ranging political corruption.
4: Not the most popular, Angelino. Anyway, long before Huizar made headlines, in 2007, he brought the motion to the city council asking for them to renew the reward for $50,000 for any information in Emory's case. He also asked the city council to crack down on flyer parties and party crews. This is part of his motion, which was read to the room by his chief of staff, Joseph Avila, at a public safety committee meeting.
7: The Los Angeles Police Department believes that Emory is one of many young people who died as a consequence or the violence that surrounds flyer or rave parties, as they're sometimes known. Over the last few years, police have made attempts to crack down on these parties by enforcing state and local criminal laws. But unfortunately, hundreds of young adults continue to attend these parties.
4: Again, a reminder that there was and is no actual evidence that we know of of Emory's murder being directly tied to a flyer party. LDPD responded to USAID's motion with various ideas to combat parties. They suggested working with the Los Angeles School District to make pamphlets for parents and kids and even lesson plans for high school health classes on the dangers of flyer parties, including substance abuse. They also suggested looking into stricter penalties for promoters who violated the law or making them reimburse the city for any costs if police had to intervene. The city attorney looked into it and ultimately reported that there were already enough laws on the books, and that LAPD just needed to use them to stop the parties
0: and all the problems that come with them. There is a responsibility on the part of building owners to secure vacant properties. That's on the books, and the fines associated with that are actually the maximum allowable under the municipal code. $1,000 and or six months in jail.
4: But what I heard in these recordings of committee meetings is that it wasn't so simple.
7: I'd I'd like to see that at the same time, the caution is that um, when you start talking about homeowners having uh, events where money changes hands, people are often, certainly it's it's in the same neighborhoods, they're having charity fundraisers, they're (laughs) having all sorts of events where people are making contributions and that's, you're allowed to do that in your own home. and, and so it's a, it's a real thin line.
4: It's a real thin line. A real thin line between what city council or LAPD saw as a legitimate party and what's not. Or more like, who is allowed to hold these events? Homeowners having charity fundraisers? I know it's a small detail, but it feels like it's not noise or exchange of money they were taking issue with. But the actual people who were partying, what did you think was the best solution to stopping violence from happening? And like what safe partying could look like in like 2004, let's say.
7: Yeah, that's that's a good question. I, I, I don't know. I, I knew that safe partying would look like um, family gatherings and not party crew gatherings.
4: This is Captain Jay Roberts again.
7: Party crew gatherings created the environment for violence to evolve. Family parties less so. But then again, who wants to go to the family party when they're a 13 year old? Yeah. You know, so I didn't have that answer. This is just an age-old problem. You know, young kids need to burn off steam, need to dance, need to have fun, need to howl at the moon. Where can they do that safely? And where can somebody from a community with less resources do that safely? It's tougher for some of the folks in this neighborhood to find something to do legally and lawfully because it costs more.
4: I'm kind of surprised to hear that he's articulating an idea I think about a lot. How can kids who have a need to let loose do it in a safe way? I also asked Bernard C. Parks the former city council member about this. Like house parties, illegal house parties, they might not have the resources to get those permits or like rent out a space or pay for security. And those things are important, but what if they lack the resources to even begin to to do it the right way?
8: Just like anything else, if you don't have the money to go in business, you can't go in business.
4: But the thing is, the main focus of the party crew scene wasn't about being in business. Some people did earn money organizing, but that wasn't the main goal. Historically, the term safe space has been used to describe the spaces in which movements are organized, like college campuses or churches, like the anti-Vietnam War movement or the civil rights movement. The way we talk about safe spaces today we often mean spaces in which people can express their identity freely, like at a gay bar or a Black student union. For me, when I think about party crews, it's in these spaces that I was able to let loose and try things out and be myself. Still, I have to recognize that just because it was safe for me to be myself doesn't mean it was necessarily physically safe, at least not all the time the policing, city council, all this was happening around us while we were trying to live in the moment and create our own approximation of a safe space, exist in our bubble like lots of people do. Our bubble happened to be made up of party crews, the parties, all the partygoers. That was our community. And we were good at creating that community. So good that we found ways of connecting with party crews all across the city and county. And we soon realized that our world was bigger than we had ever imagined. What was the moment where you were like, oh shit, this is like, this is getting bigger than I thought, or when, when was that?
6: When people start asking me to post their flyer on the site, when the the servers begin to crash, right? Because there's just so many people trying to log in.
4: That's next time. Episode was written, reported, and hosted by me, Janice Yamoka. Our show is produced and reported by Sofia Palisa Carr, Victoria Alejandro, and Kyle Chang, and edited by Antonia Cerejido. Additional editing by Annie Aviles. Fact checking by Nidia Bautista. Sound design and original music composition by Kyle Murdoch. Our supervising producer is Janet Lee. Art by Julie Ruiz. And Victoire Coyon. Our executive producer from Vice Audio is Kate Osborne. Our executive producers from Elias Studios are Antonia Cerejido and Leo G. Our Vice President of Podcast from Elias Studios is Shaina Naomi Krakmo. Special thanks to the UCLA Department of Communication Archive for access to their news collection. Party Crew's The Untold Story is a production of Elias Studios and Vice Audio in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura Podcast Network. For more podcasts, listen to the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And hey, were you in a party crew? Send us your party flyers or photos. I'd love to see them. Even a voice message about your memories, anything. You can send us a message or a picture at partycrews at elliastudios.com. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.
6: Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz.